On the latest episode of the Unrivaled Podcast, we visit with Bruce Feldman, a reporter for Fox Sports and The Athletic. Now, Bruce and myself are going to dive into the Big Ten Conference, NIL, a continuous hot topic there around college sports, potential new transfer rules, and of course, Penn State football being back. Now, before we go any further, I thought it would be fun to kick off this episode with some with some sounds that we've been waiting to hear for months. Here come the new line. Let's go. Lippert over the middle wide open. Jahan Dawson makes a move, but he's shorted sack at the 30 by Shaka Tony. He'll choose to run it. Jerry Brown on a splendid journey. So long, room service. Touchdown. He'll keep it. Touchdown. Sean Clifford, fourth and five, Fields, and Fields lost it, and he drops down. Lamont Wade has had a spectacular day. Clifford launching for the end zone, fire move, goes up, touchdown, Penn State. So long, room service. That still gives me chills every time for whatever reason. I know, I know I've got chills around my entire body right now, the arms, the legs, the spine, whatever it is. Because Big Ten football is back. Penn State football is back. Because they're going to open up their 2020 campaign on the road at Indiana. And then they're going to welcome in Ohio State to Beaver Stadium on October 31st. Heck of a schedule. Going to be a heck of a year for this Nittany Lion program. And before we get any further, we got to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by GoPSUSports.com, the official sponsor of the Unrivaled Podcast. The alarm clock goes off in the morning. Are you going to hit the snooze button or are you going to get up and attack the deck? Compete in everything you do. Unrivaled, the official podcast of Penn State football. Let's dominate now. Here's your host, Mitch Gerber. Well, we're fired up to welcome in our latest guest to the Unrivaled Podcast. It's one of the nation's top college football insiders. You'll see him on Saturdays over on Big Noon Kickoff via Fox, Bruce Feldman. Bruce has covered college football nationally for more than 20 years and is the author of numerous books, which happens to include Flip the Script, his latest book that will be released in October. So be sure to check that out. Now, Bruce, we're not going to waste any time. We're going to jump straight in as we've got a lot of ground to cover here in the next 10 to 15 minutes or so. So fasten your seatbelt and let's do this. The first topic I want to jump into is the Big Ten Conference. After all that has transpired over the course of the past couple of months, what do you make of where the conference sits today? Uh, you know, it's, it's complicated, right? I mean, you had a lot of pushback, from, certainly from, from Nebraska and Ohio State and Penn State, as well as Michigan and, and Jim Harbaugh. So I think it was really messy. But look, we're in a pandemic, and that pandemic hasn't just gone away just because we have football games on our TVs. So, um, you know, from just from a perspective of that, uh, we'll see how this plays out. I mean, we've already seen a bunch of cancellations and a bunch of postponements in other leagues. And hopefully because the big 10 has mandated some stricter protocols that maybe they'll have a little bit of a smoother path than we've seen from other leagues so far. But it's um, like I said, it's got, it got really complicated. It got really messy. 
So with that said, and the new protocols that are in place within this conference, do you feel that the Big Ten could come out in a better spot because of all this? Yeah, potentially. I think because of some of the steps they have taken and waited to ensure. And look, they they probably have more uh, intel and information from observing how the other leagues have gone about it in in that time. So I definitely think that probably set them up in a different position. And they have, they have more resources than, than a bunch of the leagues that are already playing now. Bruce, in your opinion then, what ultimately led to this conference reversing their decision to start playing games again in October? I think the biggest thing was them feeling, their medical experts feeling much more comfortable with, the, with what they know about COVID as well as what they have been able to put in place not just in the daily testing plan, but also from everything I'd heard in my reporting uh, was that they felt like they had a better handle on the myocarditis, uh, heart issues, and what certain schools would need to be ramped up in terms of their resources and, and ability to test and treat for these things. And I think because of that, I think that gave them more confidence and a little more clarity than they than the conference felt like it had in early October, in early August. Uh, how long do you think it's going to take some of these institutions within this conference and really around the country to recover financially for, for not playing football or for playing football with, with limited fans as we're seeing? That's a hard question to, to sort out because we don't know, I think, the ramifications of everything that you're talking about in terms of what does that mean uh, from school to school, what does it mean if there's going to be some postponements in this? Because there's really no wiggle room in, in, in the conference in terms of this. What does it mean to the local community? I mean, there's just so many layers to that. And I think that's, that's a big unknown how this plays out. I mean, um, you know, I, I think the fact that, that they're scheduled to have games and they're going to be on TV and, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, full disclosure, I work for Fox Sports and we're a business partner of the Big Ten. So I think there's a lot of there's a lot of layers of this. But, you know, everything you've heard was from ADs around the country was it would have a monumental impact on their economies if there was if they couldn't have any football games and at least whether there's going to be no tickets sale, sold, but at least there, there's a product on the field from the TV partner's side. I think that that's at least something to get some traction on. I think everybody would agree that there's been a lot of, a lot of pros and cons across the college football landscape this season. But Bruce, I'm curious, do you think there, there should be a commissioner of college football? If it could, yeah, I think it would be beneficial. Here's the problem with that. Like, you, we've been, for all the years till now, the FCC wasn't going to play as many games as everybody else in terms of a, every, as many conference games as everybody else who was trying to make the playoff. Uh, but the truth is, if you're Greg Sankey and you're FCC, what would you, you know, like, they're not going to be told what to do. They don't want to be told how to run their business because they feel like they, it runs perfectly fine from them. And I think that's one of the challenges here is we've seen as much as a lot of these conference commissioners talked about how they're trying to have communication and be on the same page with everybody else. They're all out for their own best interest. And if that's the case, I don't see some of these guys at the top of the food chain 
letting go a little bit of that control when it means so much con- power and money to their to their uh, stakeholders and to their to their support groups. Another category that has picked up a, a ton of steam within the last couple of weeks is the opt-in and opt-out option. I thought you did a, a great job, Bruce, describing this on Big Noon not too long ago. And you, you were talking about your conversations with attorney Tom Mars. And for those that didn't necessarily get to listen to that conversation, what do we need to know moving forward? Well, thank you. Um, what was Interesting to me, so obviously Tom Mars has won more than a share of battles with the NCA in, in recent years, and he talked about how the words of Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner from last month, where he specifically said this decision will not be reversed, quote-unquote, that that gave the NCAA some unique flexibility for these guys who may have signed with an agent and who may have uh, taken accepted benefits from those agents to have the flexibility to get their eligibility restored. He said, if Kevin Warren was not so definitive in his wording last month, he goes, I don't think these players would have had a prayer to get their eligibility restored. But because it's different and because Kevin Warren went there, that's a game changer. So we'll see how it's played out. Obviously, a handful of players in the Big Ten opted out, signed with agents, and are now trying to get back in. I think there's probably a, a, a few that opted out and maybe didn't accept anything yet, uh, but all that stuff has to be sorted out by, by the conference and then ultimately by the NCA. Well, very interesting perspective on your conversation with Tom Mars. Thanks for sharing that, Bruce. But on the flip side of things, obviously this Penn State fan base is fired up for the upcoming 2020 season, and you're, you're a smart guy that's well-connected to the college football landscape. So what will it take? for this Penn State program to flip the page and be a national contender year after year? Well, I think that the way James Franklin has recruited has elevated them from being being good to very good and teetering on great. Um, look, we, we need to see. I, I like the hire of Kurt Scirocco a lot. I was so impressed. We did, My Fox crew did a bunch of Minnesota games. I was so impressed by what he did, especially with Tanner Morgan, the quarterback in Minnesota, who probably outside of Joe Burrow was the most improved quarterback in all of college football last year. And I thought Shiraka had a big uh, role in that. So if he can continue to polish and develop Sean Clifford, who has a lot of talent, certainly well, Levitt, Will Levitt, who obviously has a lot of physical tools, that um, bodes well. I you know love the love the running back crew that they have there. Uh, I think the challenges with Penn State had been just continuing to upgrade the, the depth and talent they had on both lines, especially of the big people, because they've had you know really dynamic edge rushers. But I think just to get better there um, and continue to get better, because we've seen them. I mean, even whether they beat beaten Ohio State, which they have, or when they've come close to beating Ohio State, uh, they can play with the most talented team in certainly in the Big Ten, but you know they're right there with, with uh, in terms of a talent standpoint. Ohio State's right there with Clemson and and everybody, you know, the top of the the food chain there in the SEC. So that shows you that they're not far off. I just think it's continuing to upgrade, and 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 that's something that it looks like James Franklin has done. Even when you lose really good players and really good athletes to the NFL, um, if you can make it somewhat seamless in how you replace them, then I think you're in a rare, pretty rarefied era. 
Bruce, transitioning gears a little bit as we have you for a couple more minutes here on the Unraveled podcast. I'm curious, if the NCAA decides to pass the one-time transfer rule in 2021, right, how does that affect the college football landscape? Yeah, yeah, that's the fascinating thing you're going to have because all of a sudden there's going to be an element of free agency. What schools have the, the roster flexibility? What does the NCAA do in terms of partner legislation, meaning to give some of these schools that say, okay, you, you can have more room in your initial list where you, you know, it's not just, you can only have 25 spots. You have a lot more flexibility to add on. What does that mean for high school recruiting this year? Will a lot less high school recruits be signed a, because the, the evaluations of such players because of the pandemic is way uh, murkier than it is in the past. And B, our team's going to be saying, Hey, I'd rather, leave six or seven of those spots open for, cause I know transfers are going to be looking for new destinations and I need to have room to accommodate them. I mean, it's uh, the, the discussions that must be going on inside college war rooms about this, I think are pretty fascinating because of how do you deal with roster management? I mean, you couple that with NIL to name image and likeness for those that aren't familiar with that acronym. I think that creates a whole nother, uh, a whole nother dynamic in the college football landscape. But if you do couple those two together, so NIL with the one-time transfer rule, how dramatic of a change do you think we could see in the 2021 season? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if, if NIL goes in the direction some people think it goes, uh, then in terms of what is afforded college athletes in terms of the NCA with pressure from the folks in Washington, D.C., going to open it up to the point where if you have a really good player on your team, could they do appearances? And whether it's signings or just show up at, you know, some some boosters kid's birthday party in town and make $10,000 or $20,000 for that. I don't know how the NCA is going to manage that. But I think those things are potential game changers in terms of how college football really works. And I think that's going to be fascinating to see going forward, how they decide and how it works, because so much of what the NCA has tried to cling to has been about some level of keeping a level playing field. When in reality, there was, there really isn't a level playing field. I mean, if you're, getting recruited by Stanford, you're getting recruited by a school that, you know, his education is nowhere near that. I mean, they're not, they can't offer the same opportunities. If you go to Penn, if you go on a visit to Penn state and then you go on a visit to some uh, much smaller FBS program, well, their, their resources are way different. You're just as a, you know, as a, as part of your deal, you just, you're just not getting the same things. You're not, you're not, uh, your experience is going to be dramatically different. So I think for the NCAA to try to try to navigate that has been really challenging and cling to it. And I'm not sure how they kind of get pushed into a corner on this. All right. We've got about 30 seconds left with you. So when all is said and done, you talk about the, the different programs around the country with NIL, where do you think the biggest impact is going to be and how will those top programs separate themselves when it comes to that? I think the biggest impact will be on what they were able to, to pay in terms of local businesses and, and that potentially and what that can mean. Because I think it's, you look at, at the school in your own backyard, 
I mean, yeah, Saquon is a phenomenon, and Michael Parsons has had a huge name. But there are so many other players which would have potential to maybe connect with some local businesses that they have a connection to. And those that money, I think, would be would be very much of a difference for those kids' families. And you know, I did this story with Reggie Bush right when this was coming down the pipeline. And obviously, Reggie was talking about the you know skyrocketing money, but he also talked about some of his teammates and the money that they could have made in this. When USC, obviously, with a big brand connection like it has, but there's a lot of schools that have maybe scaled down, not as big. But that still could be really, really life-changing for a lot of families. Bruce, appreciate you taking the time to join us on the podcast. But before we let you go, I got to make sure that you can plug your new book that comes out in October titled Flip the Script. Fill us in with what that's all about. Yeah, it's called Flip the Script. It's really, people have asked me about if I was ever going to do a, a sequel to the book, my book, Meat Market. And this is really the closest I could get to it. It's about how Ed Osher on the LSU coach really evolved from the spectacular flame out he had at, at Ole Miss and kept growing and learned from his mistakes. And then obviously went on to lead LSU to a perfect season last year and win a national title. And there's just, there's some great stories about Joe Burrow and Joe Brady, obviously Penn State fans know, know him. Um, and so it was just a fascinating process to work on for, for fans who really want to know what happens inside of a program I think they'll be really amazed by what they see and flip the script. Bruce, appreciate your time and looking forward to uh, hopefully seeing you down the road here. Yeah, hope so. Thanks for having me. Good snap, put down, kick is up, the kick hits the upright, no good! The Nettie Lions come up with a goal line stand! It's time for our final segment of the day called Goal Line Stand. For those of you that have listened to previous episodes during Season 2 of the Unrivaled Podcast, you can check the box. You know what this is all about. You can send me your biggest takeaway from today's episode at Mitch Gerber. Once again, at Mitch Gerber. For those of you that might be new to the Unrivaled Podcast or this is your first episode of Season 2, well, share with me your biggest takeaway from today's episode at Mitch Gerber, once again, at Mitch Gerber. And I'll be sure to to try to give you a shout out on future episodes. Today's shout out comes from Wandering Spectator, at Wandering Spec. He shared with me his biggest takeaway from the, the James Franklin episode of the Unraveled podcast. And he talked about the perspective of, of him and his daughters and what he's like away from the football field. And then at the very end of his tweet, it's my favorite part right here. He said, hope he got his tomatoes. If you have no idea what that's about, go back and listen to that episode with head coach James Franklin. Now it's time for this edition of Goal Line Stand. My biggest takeaway from today's episode with Bruce Feldman came from when he was talking about NIL, an acronym that everybody should get familiar with, name, image, and likeness. Whether it's signings or just show up at some booster's kid's birthday party in town and make $10,000 or $20,000 for that. I don't know how the MCA is going to manage that, but I think those things are potential game changers in terms of how college football really works. We'll see you next time on the Unravel Podcast. official podcast of Penn State football.